I hope that by now you know who your one is and that you've committed to daily pray for that one person to continue to invest in that relationship, invite them to come to to church with you and introduce them to Christ. Uh, One of the things I love about our church is the way that we do children's ministry. The kids sometimes spend uh, their Sundays with us and here on the uh, second, fourth, and fifth Sundays. So kids, you should have a bulletin. It looks something like this. Grab one of those if you've got it and get ready. You've got a little bit harder one, the very front page. See if you can solve that. And about halfway through my sermon, I'm going to ask you to help me fill in the blanks there. Maybe somebody near you can help you if you need that. Uh, This isn't directly out of our passage for today, but out of the uh, passage preceding our passage that we're preaching this morning. But it also ties into our passage from last week. And so uh, we'll bring that up here in just a little bit. Um, I'd like everybody in here to take a connect card from a pew somewhere around you. I'm going to ask you to turn those in at the end of the at the end of the service with different ways to respond. So, one, if you're a guest with us uh, and this is your first time, then just click first time visitor. Check that on the front and let me know that. Uh, but everybody else, I want everybody to do it. Grab a connect card. Uh, you, you'll find one if not in the pew right in front of you, somewhere around you. Uh, and, and put uh, something on there that I know who it is that you're talking about. And, uh, and there'll be some ways at the very end I want you to, uh, on the back, to put some things. And so grab that and be ready to respond at the end of the sermon. Let's go ahead and dive into our text, if you would. We're in Luke chapter 5. Uh, as you turn there, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. It's page 714 in, the, in that Bible, in your pew Bible. And so uh, go ahead and stand with me and let's read God's word for this morning. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. On one of those days, as he was, watch, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, Your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would challenge us, you would encourage us, you would increase our awe. 
Lord, that we would fall more in love with you. And out of that love, we would see you do mighty things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The primary reason that people don't come to church or come to Jesus or really fully give their lives over the Lord uh, is actually not usually the primary reason, animosity. Sometimes I think we think people are angry against God in the church, and sometimes people are angry against God in the church. But I would say the primary reason, the number one reason we don't see people faithfully living out their calling is complacency, apathy, and hopelessness. Now, they may play that out as if they're angry with God or they're disappointed with the church or they've gotten mad at people at the church. They've been wounded by people at the church. And, and so they decide that they're no longer going to do that. But really, I think it's a lack of understanding how great God is. If people, people, if people at church have made you so mad that you don't want to be a part of church anymore, you've missed the point. You've missed how great God really is. If, if people are that motivation, you've missed something important. Most people did not sleep in today and avoid fellowship because they're angry, more because they're complacent or they have apathy or they don't see any hope in it. When they see people who go to church and call themselves Christians, they don't see any difference in their lives and their own. They don't see anything that makes them think maybe there's something to hope for here. So a lot of times we do our best to communicate urgency. Urgency tries to, it's, it seems to motivate sometimes and get people moving. Wednesday night, uh, we've been doing search and rescue evangelism training with Mike Reed, and he shared this last Wednesday night about, hey, what if, what if I got a note right now? What if right when I walked up here, I said, hey, I just got word. There's a missing young boy in the neighborhood. We need to mobilize and go out. Most of us would volunteer immediately to, to go out and search and help find this boy. There's an urgency to that. Urgency is why I tell you a lot of times that within a three-mile radius of where we sit right now are 60,000 unchurched souls. Urgency is why I tell you that. J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, says, quite simply, many of us no longer feel the urgency of the gospel message. We have grown complacent in our success and don't burn with the same evangelistic zeal that we once did. Urgency is not enough, though. The problem is urgency only works for those who already care a lot about the lost. Urgency doesn't work for those who don't love the Lord or those who don't already have a burning desire to be obedient to the Lord. I can tell you stats all day. I can create senses of urgency for you. But if it's not something you already care about, then you won't do it. So a great example of this. Uh, Black Friday shopping. There are people who see the deals that Black Friday offers as creating a sense of urgency and excitement. I am not one of those people. When I hear about Black Friday, I don't want to leave my house till mid-January. The idea of masses of people all going after the same thing uh, that I can just pay a little bit more for on Amazon later and have it delivered to my house does not appeal to me. 
I would rather wait till Cyber Monday, get a similar deal on Amazon, and just pay a little bit more. The, the extra amount I pay, I'm willing to pay to not deal with those crowds. That urgency doesn't motivate me. That urgency actually keeps me from wanting to do it. Sometimes when we just hammer on urgency, it creates more complacency. And so here's what I want to tell you. The missing ingredient is awe. A-W-E, awe. Awe is in amazement that can't be explained, something greater than ourselves, awe. I'm not saying urgency is bad. I think we should have a sense of urgency. I think when we read in the Bible, it communicates a sense of urgency. In, in, in uh, Philippians, when it says, let your reasonableness be known to all people, it says, because the Lord is coming back. That's why. Right? There is an urgency. There is an urgency to this. There is One of the things that Mike said Wednesday night was, whatever the stats are, however many people there are unchurched out of here, here's the 100% reality Anyone that dies without hope and faith in Jesus Christ will go to hell. There is an urgency to that. But urgency alone doesn't seem to move us very far. Urgency will move people for a moment, but all inspires a movement that changes history. Weak faith comes from limited and complacent religion. When we have a limited view of how great God is, when we determine the greatness of God based off of what we see to be our blessings or lack thereof, when, when we have a weak awe, when, when we don't have this great excitement and amazement about who God is, it's not that God is not amazing and exciting, it's that we have a limited view of Him. That we've put Him in a box. We've only taken a glance. Awe is based on a personal encounter. Awe is something that happens face to face. The real cure to apathy and complacency is both urgency and awe fueled by hope. Both urgency and awe fueled by hope. This is what we see in our story today. In our story today, we've got some friends and it's a group of guys and one of them, it seems based on the way it's written, maybe even has not been paralyzed for a long time, but something has happened. Something has happened that's created some urgency. Something has happened that's created a moment. Now, Jesus has come onto the scene in the area and really started to stir things up. And he stirred things up. He's healing people and he's preaching and, and all these things are happening. And so people are wanting to kind of get a piece of Jesus. And so uh, he ends up in this house and the house gets like, crazy crowded and all these people are in it and Pharisees and, and, and teachers of the law are really kind of wanting to pick Jesus apart. And so they're sitting there and they're paying attention. But there's these guys, they've heard that there's this guy who's been healing people. And he's been healing people in all sorts of amazing ways. And so they get this great sense of urgency. They kind of get a, a gurney and they get their buddy on this gurney, one on, one on a pole in each corner, and they make their way to this house. Now, this story pokes a hole in a common theology that people hold in our world today that is called open-door theology. Now, the problem with open-door theology is you're not going to find it. Here's what I mean by this. 
we'll go, well, you know, I'll, go, I'll, I'll do that if God opens the door. Here's the problem. Usually when we say that, here's what we mean. If God gives me the path of least resistance so that I can be obedient, then I'll do it. That's usually what we mean when we say open a door. Like, well, I haven't shared the gospel with my neighbor yet because God just really hasn't opened the door for that yet. You know, that's probably not going to happen. You're probably going to have to knock on the door. You're probably going to have to create a conversation. You're probably going to have to get uncomfortable. You're probably going to have to get out of your comfort zone. Well, you know, I haven't done that. God hasn't really opened a door for that. Well, the thing I love about this is these guys would say, what open door? Just dig a hole through the roof. So sometimes when we see obstacles, maybe they really are open doors, if that's what God is calling you to. So look at the story, verses 17 through 19. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. All kinds of crazy, amazing things were happening. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. This passage presents a real problem for open-door theology. There's a lot of obstacles here. There's a lot of reasons why they should have gone, well, maybe now is not the right time. It's just not convenient at the moment to get this guy before Jesus, but they had urgency. They had a sense of hope because they had heard of what he had done, and there we'll see the story ends with awe. And I want to tell you, it's when those three things meet, urgency, hope, and awe that we'll see a movement happen. These men had a mission. They had a clear objective, something to accomplish. Contrast them with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who it says were just sitting there. Now, Charles Spurgeon is one of my heroes for several reasons. He's a big guy with a loud voice and a big beard. Sound familiar? But he had just a way with words, and so he did a whole sermon called sitting there, talking about how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were just sitting there. And, and one of my favorite quotes he says here, uh, he, he says, I always, Spurgeon says, I always feel pleased at the idea of the dust and the debris of the roof coming down upon the heads of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It always delights me to think that these gentlemen would have dust on their heads for once since they were there. They were bound to have a little bit of it. I mean, imagine they, they're sitting there and, and the creator of the universe is in their midst teaching and they're just trying to pick it apart. Well, you know, I don't know if he said that right. I'm not sure that that agrees with everything I agree with. Having a clear mission makes a big difference. It brings clarity and purpose, right? We, we've talked about uh, in, in some of our leadership trainings when when Chick-fil-A trains people, they say, we, we said this, and I just love the clarity of this, right? Sometimes they say, uh, everybody's job here is to either sell chicken or help someone sell chicken, right? And they help everybody see that if you're mopping floors, you're helping someone sell chicken, right? And we've talked about, for us, that means everybody's job here, so listen up, everybody, that includes you, everybody's job here is to make disciples that make disciples. That's everybody's job. 
And so you're either making disciples or you're helping someone make disciples. And so when I prayed over this morning, the security team that's out there over preschool workers, they're helping us make disciples, right? When, when greeting team, when Wednesday night dinner, when people, you have no idea people, how much time people spend up here cleaning toilets and vacuuming and doing all sorts of things uh, so that they can help us make disciples. There are a group of men who volunteer in rotation to cut the grass out here. We don't pay, uh, God has blessed us, and we don't have to pay for lawn care because some people have volunteered to do that. That helps us make disciples. Uh, having a clear mission brings clarity and purpose. Instagram, uh, their mission is to capture and share the world's moments to capture and share the world's moments. Now, one of the things that if you've used Instagram, you may notice is that you can't hyperlink anything. You can't link to like another article or something else in the comments. You can't, in your description, on Facebook, you can link articles and videos and all sorts of outside websites and, and all these things. But on Instagram, all you can do is share pictures and videos. And that's it. Why? Because they know what their mission is, to capture and share the world's moments. They don't want to be a place where you go find a bunch of links and read a bunch of articles, and that's not the purpose. The purpose isn't that. It's moments. We've got to understand. See, these men were willing to climb the stairs. There would have been outside stairs. The roof would have been a place where you kind of hang out and maybe even during certain months sleep up there. And so they were to climb these outside stairs, bring their buddy up there, and they start digging a hole through the roof. Why? Because they had clarity and purpose. They knew what their mission was, and it brought them urgency. They had hope that if they laid this man before Jesus, Jesus might do something. Just maybe. That maybe was enough for them to dig a hole. Jesus told us his mission when he said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus told us our mission when he said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples. Everybody say, make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is our mission. That's it. That's, that's the job. This isn't the job. This is the staff meeting. We got to go from here to do the job. You've been commissioned. And it's, listen, your attendance at church is no more than attendance at a good staff meeting if you don't leave here and do something with it. We're here to worship God, but we've got to go tell others about him too. What drives you? What things spiritually has God put on your heart that you long to see come to fruition in your lifetime? Do you have kingdom dreams? Do you desire to see God do great things? Such as people coming to faith in Christ or are all of your dreams tied to the temporary? Right here. I asked you before, if God answered every prayer you've prayed over the last 30 days, how would eternity be any different? What are you pursuing with your time, with your energy? What seems urgent to you? Is there no urgency in the spiritual things? Then maybe we need to realign. What obstacles have derailed you 
from the mission? Where have you said that there wasn't an open door or maybe you needed to climb on the roof? What would it look like for you in your life to dig a hole? Maybe for your one, you haven't shared the gospel with them and you have real no intention of doing it. All you want to do is just pray. And I would say pray, but don't just pray. What would it look like for you to dig a hole in the roof for your one? I mean, to like boldly sit down and say, I want to have a real conversation with you about the gospel. I want to have a real conversation with you about your eternity, about who Jesus is, who he is to me and who he is to you. I want to have a real conversation with you about the hope. Look, I understand that's going to be awkward. I understand it's going to be uncomfortable. Do you think it was not awkward to dig a hole in a roof in the middle of a party? That's an incredibly awkward thing to do. What would it look like for you to step out of your comfort zone and dig a hole in the roof? To forget that the crowd's in the way. Forget that the Pharisees are just sitting there. Forget that the people just observing are keeping you from doing it and dig a hole in the roof. Pastor Mike Reed on Wednesday night very wisely added a fourth eye to my three eyes from before of invest, invite, and introduce. One that precedes them all is intercede. Intercede. We've been doing that, but we just didn't add it to the four eyes. So now we're going to officially add that and make it four eyes. Praying for your loss. We've been uh, doing the 30-day prayer guide together. Um, I hope you've been joining us in that. We have it on Facebook Live every morning around 7 a.m. And uh, I, I'll walk through that. You can do it on version, Bible app on your phone. Um, you can download a PDF. You can grab one today. There's a lot of ways you can do that. There's really no reason for you not to do it. I would encourage you to take real, real time, not just then, but throughout your day, interceding. But then invest. What would it look like for you to dig a hole in the roof? It would look like you intentionally investing in their life. Don't just passively pray. Be intentional and invest into that life, the, the life of that one. And then go ahead, look, invite them to church with you today. I put invite cards down here. I put them in the back. I put them in the foyer. Um, I want, here's what I want everybody to do today. I want everybody to take three invite cards on your way out this week. I want you to give one to your one. And I want you to be bold enough to say, I would really love for you to come to church with me this Sunday. Will it be awkward? Possibly. Dig a hole in the roof. And then I want just two other random ones. I don't, a cashier at Walmart, a waitress at, at, at the store, somebody random at a gas station, have a conversation with somebody and invite them to church. Now, is, understand me clearly, is inviting someone to church evangelism? No, it is a tool of evangelism. And maybe they'll come here and hear the gospel and, and whatever. But look, it's a baby step. You've got to take some steps to get up on the roof to dig a hole. So maybe some baby steps you need to take is just practice getting out of your comfort zone just to invite people. But then here's what I'd really love for you to do is be bold enough to introduce them. Introduce them to Jesus. Share the gospel with them. On Wednesday nights, we're talking through how to do that. If you don't know how to do that, uh, let me know, and I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about ways that you can do that. All right, next thing I want you to see. All right, kids, have you guys been able to figure out the, the front page yet? Yeah, okay. All right, so the front page is from a passage in... Uh, prior to this in Luke 5 and in 1 through 11, and it says, Jesus said to Simon, 
put into the deep water and let, the, let down the nets for a catch. This is a great moment where Jesus comes and one of those many times where Peter doesn't seem to be able to catch any fish. And so Jesus gets in the boat and he, he preaches a little bit and he tells Peter, hey, throw your nets over there. And all of a sudden he's able to catch some fish. And so uh, the instructions here are to finish this sentence. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all. What's that first word? One, two, three. Night. So Simon, uh, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all and haven't anything. But because you, so I will let down the nets. All right, everybody give it up for him. Here's one of the things I want you to see as Jesus interacts in that story and in this one. We often want Jesus to meet temporary needs. But really what he has a heart to do is to meet your eternal needs, your spiritual needs. Uh, Jesus, Jesus sees the bigger picture. He understands that the things that ail us here on earth aren't really that significant compared to what we have in eternity. And so Jesus brings better blessings. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, and when he saw their face, so Jesus is teaching and he's there and all of a sudden the roof opens up they lower some guys. Everybody's probably looking at Jesus like, how are you going to deal with this? What are you, how are you going to respond to this weird situation happening? And Jesus saw their faith, the faith of all the men, all five of them. And he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, their urgency was not on his eternal security. Their urgency was on the fact that their buddy was now paralyzed and needed to be healed. But Jesus realized, I can heal you, but then you still don't have your sins forgiven. And what really matters, see, Jesus is establishing his authority here on earth right now. That authority that when we were reading Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, and he says, all authority on earth and heaven has been given to me, and I will be with you until the end of the age. That authority with which we have been given, the Great Commission, is established right here in this moment for these people. Now the scribes and the Pharisees began to question. Now I love this. <laughs> There's a guy who gets dropped down and they start to question, who is, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? What a great question. And they're right. Now Jesus saw their faith. They actually had hope. They actually believed. They believed so much that Jesus could do something for their friend, that they were willing to dig a hole through a roof and drop him into the middle of a party. Because they had hope. They thought maybe, just maybe. So they take this huge risk because they had urgency and hope, enough to hope to move them. Now this is true of many of the stories we see in the Old Testament. Joshua leading the Israelites in the Promised Land, or Elijah on Mount Carmel great thing is we now live on the other side of Jesus' work on the cross and through the empty tomb. How much greater should our expectations be when we bring our friends to the feet of Jesus? We know that he defeats death. The disciples don't know how this whole thing is going to play out yet. They just know. These people have no idea. They don't know who Jesus is. They just know that this guy can heal. And so they bring him the Look, sometimes we get so limited in our perspective that we just want God to heal us. We just want God to fix our finances. We just want God to fix our marriage. But we got to go before the feet of Jesus and realize he probably has something even greater for us. Do you have an eager expectation of someone coming to faith? 
I mean, an eager expectation for your one. Does your eager expectation move you to action? Not just prayer, but to action. How did others play a role in your trusting in Jesus? Who were your four guys that carried you to the feet of Jesus? I, I, I can just about guarantee you, any of you in here that are a child of God, there was somebody asking God to save you. I remember there were some that were praying for me, and I remember two guys who shared the gospel with me faithfully my freshman year of college, patiently and faithfully. I thank them almost every year on the anniversary of my salvation for being faithful to share the gospel with me, to be bold enough to, to speak to me boldly. I didn't make it easy for them. In what ways has Jesus transformed your life? Why would you not long for the same type of transformation in others? So here's the deal. Yes, the, the eternal reward is the greatest reward but it's not just about getting to heaven. It's about heaven coming down on earth. And you know what? We can lay our marriage at the feet of Jesus. And we can lay our finances at the feet of Jesus. And we can lay our health at the feet of Jesus. And we can lay all those things at the feet of Jesus. And he can bring us a hope that nothing else in this world can bring us. As we lay down our addictions and our struggles and our depression and our shortcomings and our discouragements and our distractions, as we lay all those things down at the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus is better. When Jesus perceived their thoughts of the Pharisees that were questioning him, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier? Would it be easier for me to say your sins are forgiven to you or for me to tell him to get up and walk? You know what? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and they picked, them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. We so often think that it's going to be these grandiose temporary miracles that are going to create a movement. But that's not what creates movements. We can see that throughout history. The Israelites saw 10 plagues, saw the splitting of the Red Sea. And it's not long before they look at Moses and go, why did we even leave Egypt? Why did he just leave us there to die? Through all those miracles, they get to the promised land and they go, ah, those guys are too big. We can't do it. Jesus would do amazing miracles on the Sabbath and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the most religious people today, would just grumble and complain that he chose the wrong day of the week to do it. These miracles create a sense of urgency, but urgency alone won't carry you in the long haul. Awe, worship, affection, deep amazement on who God is, that's what will carry you. Urgency might get the ball moving down the field a little bit. But it's all that'll take you the whole way. Last week, I told you a long parable story about life-saving stations. I have another long parable story for you, but I couldn't find out who the original author is. Um, <clears throat> now, it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. 
And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around them. And in fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. And week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish. Now they might go about fishing and year after year they carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. And, and these fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. And the plea was that everyone, everyone should be a fisherman. And every fisherman should fish. But the one thing that they didn't do, however, is they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized on a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. And the board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing and defend fishing and decide what new stream should be thought about. And, but the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. And over the years, courses were offered on the needs of the fish and the nature of the fish and where to find the fish and the psychological reactions of fish and how to approach and feed fish. And those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught about fishing. And year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were giving fishing license. And they were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know that they were nice, loving, kind neighbors, and how loving and kind they were was just enough. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water, and they smelled like dead fish every day, and they received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen clubs. In fact, they claimed to be fishermen, yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish weren't actually fishermen, no matter how much they claim to be. Yet it sounds correct. If a person is a fisherman, if year after year he never fishes, is he really? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? Jesus has called us to be his followers. In that passage in Luke 5, 1 through 11, it's the parallel of our passage out of Matthew 4 last week, where Jesus calls his first disciples and he tells them, they're fishermen, that's what they do for a living. And he tells them, come with me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was their first commission. The first thing he told them that they would do would be to multiply themselves. The last thing he told them they would do would be to multiply themselves. In Acts 1.8, before he leaves, he says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Matthew 28, like we read earlier, go, go, and make disciples. Redemption Church, it is time 
to start casting our nets. Who's your one? Who's the one you're going to go after? Are you going to dig a hole in the roof? Or are you just going to sit passively and just pray? Maybe God will send somebody else to him. There does need to be a sense of urgency to this. But there also needs to be hope. There is hope. We have a God who saves, but how will they be saved if no one goes to them? So take out the connect card that I asked you to fill out in the beginning. I asked you to put your name on it. If you're a guest with us, I'd like for you to just put, the, this is your first time, let me know that. On the back, I'd like for you to write the name of your one. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take those, and sometime tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to join you in praying over those ones. Um, if you would be okay with me sharing the names of those with elders and staff members, uh, then just write it on there and leave it. If you want, for whatever reason, whatever you write on the back there to be just for my eyes, then fold it in half. If you fold it in half, then everybody that grabs the offering plate stuff knows that that's for my eyes only. So if it's folded in half, I'll be the only one that sees it. If it's not folded in half, I'm going to share these names with our elders and with our staff, and, and we're going to pray with you over your one. Now, if you have a prayer request specifically there, I'd love for you to pr- put that on there as well. If, if you want this hope of Jesus Christ in your life, if you've realized you're not really even a follower, you're, you're just somebody who says they believe, and you'd like to know more about salvation, then click something like on the front uh, that you'd like to be baptized, or you can write in, I'd like to know more about what it means to be saved. If you'd like to be a member of our church and officially join, we'll have a membership class starting at the end of this month, but put on there, I'd like to be a member. Let us know that. Let us know how we can walk with you in this journey. And then what I want you to do is during our response time, um, come lay your one down at the stairs. Now, this is not a magical altar. We don't put sacrifices here. Uh, It's no longer necessary. But it can be a good practice to physically get up, practice walking up the stairs and getting on the roof. And then here's the deal. Figure out this week how to dig a hole. Don't look for the open door. Don't wait till your one says, like the jailer says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? That's not going to happen that often. Don't wait for that. Don't wait for a door so wide open that you can't ignore it. Be bold enough to have that conversation and dig a hole. So take three invite cards to so come down, lay your connect card, and then grab three invite cards. And this week, give one to your one, and give out two others to other random people. These are ways that we can climb up on the roof and start digging a hole. They're just baby steps, but I think they can get us there. Maybe you are somebody's one. Maybe today you need that hope. As that's happening, I'll be standing at the front pew, and I'd like the band to go ahead and come up. I'll be standing at the front pew, and if, if you would like prayer, 
over your one with me at this moment, or if you are a one, or maybe you need to know more about salvation or baptism, then I'll be standing right there, and I'd love to talk to you. Um, and so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand, we're going to sing, grab your Connect card, bring it down, lay it. If you want to kneel and pray over that person as you do that, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, let's take this seriously. Let's have a sense of urgency, but not just urgency. Hope. Hope, living hope, as First Peter says, of Christ. But let's also have all. Let's be so in love with Jesus that we're compelled to tell others about him.